0: Well, we're going to be looking particularly this evening at verse 19. We love because he first loved us. And if there's something that I want all of us uh, to take away and to do is just to remember that and to, to chew it over. And the aim this evening is to give us the, the framework of things that we could be chewing over over the next few days. I want to start off with something that sounds awfully technic- technical and um, not very exciting. Uh, the statement, a sacrament. Well, that's what the Lord's Supper is. It's a sacrament. A sacrament is a visible sign of a covenant. Let me unpack that a little bit. Um, It's not the covenant, but it's the sign or the illustration or the pointer that points us back to the covenant. And I start there because I read something in my own Bible reading this week, in a a book that I was reading along with what I'm looking at in Genesis, uh, that reminded me that a covenant isn't just a promise. And here's what Dale Ralph Davis said. He said, a covenant is what God does when he gets formal about a promise. And then this lovely line, covenant is the wrapper God puts around his promise to help you believe it. Covenant is the wrapper God puts around his promise. The promise is already there and God says, "No, I want to help you to believe the promise and he wraps it up in, in a formal uh, arrangement. He says, I, I'm serious about this promise. It wasn't a casual promise. It is a serious promise. And then a sacrament. Like the Lord's Supper or baptism. Is God giving us a picture about the promise. To help us to believe the promise. So, if a covenant is the wrapper that goes round the promise to help us believe it, the sacrament is like another wrapper that goes round that to help us believe it. And Dale Ralph Davis talks about God's uh, deep care for our wobbly faith. I thought, yeah, you know, that's it. So a sacrament is a picture that points us to God's formal promise that he gives to help us believe, to help our wobbly faith. And the Lord's Supper is to assure us of God's love for us, to assure us that we're forgiven, the price has been paid, to assure us that we have been declared not guilty, that we've been justified and there's now no condemnation because of Jesus, that we have been adopted by God and we sit as sons and daughters at the king's table it's there to assure us that God loves us so much that he's coming back for us and that one day we will sit at a table in the kingdom of heaven with him and that's that's what we want to look at this evening that the love of God that came first for us Um, these three verses that we're going to look at over communion time we're taking this one slightly out of uh Order this is the third of the the verses that we're going to look at, um but we're taking it first just because it's such a John keeps saying similar things over and over to drive his point home and i thought this this is where this is this suits where we're at tonight, but of the three verses that we're going to look at um Charles Spurgeon preaches ten sermons on them, and on tonight's verse he preaches five <laughs> so he he must have just really. Uh, enjoyed this verse and came back to it over and over again over the course of uh, 22 years um, between the first time he preached on it and the last time he preached on it so if he can get five five sermons worth of meditating out of it we should be able to get riches out of it too not just tonight but over the next few days well what we're going to do as we look at this is explore particularly the second half of the phrase and then come back to look briefly at the first part of the verse. Uh, so first of all, he first loved us. He first loved us. And the background to, why does John say this? Why does John say we love because he first loved us? It's because there were false teachers who were coming to these Christians and who were throwing them into all sorts of doubt and uncertainty about their salvation. They didn't believe that Jesus was the Son of God they thought they taught that you needed a, some secret knowledge and that you needed some secret truths that only they had and that was throwing these people into uncertainty and they weren't gracious they were proud and haughty and they had no love for the people and john comes back time and time again to say look jesus is the son of god look jesus Has done it all. Look at the love the Father has for you. And how do you know? How do you know that you've been transformed? Look, you ragtag bunch of Gentiles and Jews who were formerly at each other's throats. You love each other. You love each other. Now, how is that? You love each other. Not because you're good friends. Not because you've lots of things in common. Not because you're from the same tribe, the same culture. You love each other because God has worked something powerful in you. And so you can have confidence, he says here, even to face the day of judgment. Because of God's work in changing you. And you love. Not because you're a kind person or a nice person. You love this way. You love people who are radically different from you. Because God loved you and that's what I want us to think about this evening how is it that we are sitting here and that we love God and I want us just to turn the clock back a little bit how is it that we believed the first thing that we see the first first love of God that we see is the Holy Spirit his regenerating love The Holy Spirit's regenerating love. Two people hear the same sermon. Two people have the same conversation at a coffee table with a Christian. Two people are challenged in exactly the same way. Um, Six men sat in a room 2011 and heard Christianity Explored. Um. Two of those men have come to faith in Christ. Everybody heard the same thing. Why? Was it? I think so. I think it was 2000. Aye. How time flies. So how how does that come about? Is is there something in one person that, that makes them particularly wonderful that they say, I'm going to love God? That's the work of the Holy Spirit. John 3, verse 5 and 6. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. Titus, Paul writes to Titus, chapter 3, verse 5. He says, he saved us through the washing of uh, rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit made us alive. While we were sinful, the Holy Spirit came because of love for us and made us new so that we could believe. Ephesians 2 says that we were dead in sin, dead in transgression, that we were children of wrath, but God made us alive. The Holy Spirit made us alive. Here is that love that before we first loved God, He first loved us and sent the Holy Spirit to us. To ensure that we would respond. What love. The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Came to unholy us. And he didn't simply make us capable of believing. He didn't leave it hanging on a knife edge. Where you were sort of, sort of lifted up to a point where. Oh well you know. You, you had the wherewithal to believe. If you so wished. No. He brought us the whole way. And breathed life into us so that we could see our sin and we could see Jesus and we would want to repent and we could repent and we could believe and even faith is a gift because he first loved us. Turn the clock back to the moment when you believed and see the love of God in that moment. Before you first loved him, he loved you first. But more, turn it back half a turn more and we see the providential love of God the Father, Son and Holy Spirit. How is it that there was something to respond to? How did the good news come to be in our ear? John Flavel, a Puritan writer said, this is a subject which every gracious heart loves to steep its thoughts in. I read that and thought, oh, I haven't done that. He clearly knew people that love to steep their thoughts in, in this thought, but I haven't really given it much thought. But think about it. Think about how the gospel came to you. Think about the various influences along the way, because it probably wasn't just one person that brought the gospel to you. Maybe it was, a Sabbath school teacher or it was maybe um, a minister in another church or another Christian who challenged and, and somebody else taught some things and somebody else lived a Christian life that you saw and, and all those pieces started to fit together. And before you ever turn to God, God had been putting all these pieces in place, all the links of the chain. Trace it back and think, I think, Before I ever was anywhere near God, God was putting all these pieces in place. Take it back further. Take it back so that you're born in a country that has the Bible in your language. There are 6,000 out of 16,000 people groups that don't have the Bible in their language and are considered unreached. You live in you, know, you had a one-in-three chance of being born in a place in the world today where you wouldn't have heard the gospel at all in your own people group. A one-in-three chance. And yet God, in his providential love, allowed you to be born now. And not just in a place where you could hear the gospel, but now at a time where you could hear the gospel because you could have been born at any point in history, at any place in history where you wouldn't have heard the gospel. And just, there's the, the providential love of God. I think about how it came about. John Flavel in his little book that tells the, the, the story of um, uh, a clergyman who wasn't a Christian, was at a fairground and uh, he bought something from some sort of cellar uh, uh, and, and whatever it was, uh, I think it was an item of food. It was wrapped up in a page. The page was from uh, a catechism. And while he was eating, whatever he was eating, he was he was reading what was on the piece of paper, like your chips been wrapped in the newspaper. Well, he he was, and the catechism question pricked his conscience, and he came to faith. <laughs> you know, uh, God's providential ways. Um, I, Stuart McMahons niece Pamela, her husband Musa, came to Christ. He's a Muslim man in Nigeria and he saw a Sabbath school being taught, the children being taught out in the porch of the church and they were enjoying it. And he never enjoyed going to the Islamic sort of equivalent and being beaten and harangued. And He saw these children enjoying it and the teacher gently teaching and he thought, what's going on? So, he would go and stand outside the window of the church because it was so hot and the, the, the windows open um, to let air flow through the church, but he could hear the service. And that's what brought him to faith. What, what, what wonderful ways God works. And sometimes they're very ordinary ways, but we start to trace them back and we think, wow, you have loved me for a long time. Like we sing in Psalm 40, your thoughts towards me. Psalm 40 and Psalm 139, they're more than could be counted. Here's the the providential love of God. What love? The sovereign orchestrating love of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Working so that you could hear the good news. Turn it back the clock. And we come to another first love. Another love that's before your love. The son's sacrificial love. Now, why is there good news? Well, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Paul writes in Ephesians five, twenty-five. He writes in Galatians 2, The son of God loved me, loved me, and gave himself for me. How is it that that message got to you? It's because there was a message for you. Not just a general message, but a specific message specifically for you. Christ died on the cross with each of you in mind. Not some sort of nameless multitude, but Paul could say, he died for me and gave himself for me. Um, on the cross, God the Son had you particularly in mind. In John 17, he prays for his disciples that are in front of him. And then he prays for those who will come, who are, who are yet who are yet to be born, who are yet to exist, those who will come after and believe in him, those people that he is just about to go out and lay down his life for. And John writes in the book of Revelation to the churches of Revelation, the seven churches, probably John was the only Christian in the world left at that stage who had met Jesus, and whom Jesus knew to look in the eye, so to speak. But John writes, he speaks of glory being to Jesus, to Jesus Christ, to him who loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood. And again, there's, there's a particularity there. And we'll see in a minute that, that, it's, that it is underscored by what the Father has done. But before you were born, Christ died for us. He first loved us. We love because he first loved us. Not just on the cross, but in Gethsemane, in the temptation in the wilderness, in those three years of ministry. He wasn't just going out to die in the hope that people would believe. He was going out to die in the certainty that the people that the Father had given to him would hear the message and the Holy Spirit would work in them and he was going to pay for your sin because he loved you. And the table, the Lord's table, illustrates that love. His body is broken. His blood is shed. And we remember that he chose to die. And he chose this death for us. Wind the clock back. we are already uh, hinted at it, but we're not done yet. Thinking about the, this love that, that precedes our love. Before we even get to thinking that God is lovely and that we might love him, we've seen that the Holy Spirit had to show his love for us, that the whole triune God had to orchestrate that the gospel would come to us, that the Son had to die for us. Fourthly, the Father's electing love for us. We've got the years A.D., the years after the cross, after the birth of Christ, then we've got B.C., before Christ, and then well here we're we're before anything. Before anything. This is love that's before anything, before our seeking, before our sin, before our existing, before, before people, before our planet existed. We read in Ephesians 1, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight, In love, he predestined us to be adopted. Who is this he? Well, it started off that big long sentence, verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to him. He's the one who did this. It's the Father's love. So the Son, there was a moment in your history when God the Holy Spirit Demonstrated his love for you by changing you, giving you new life. There was a moment in world history where God the Son demonstrated his love by coming and living and dying and rising for you. But before history, God the Father had set his love on you a choosing love, a predestinating love. Why? (laughs) Well, you know, in Ephesians, uh, Paul just says, He predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. Why did he do it? Made him happy. Made him happy. Filled him with delight to do it. It filled God the Father with delight to set his love on you. Not because we were lovely but because it made him happy. Here's here's the wonder of his love for us. In Deuteronomy 7, 7, uh, God says to the children of Israel, I did not choose you because you were the mightiest, for you are the least of all the people. He said, I did it because I loved you. In Romans 8, 29 we read those he foreknew he also predestined those he predestined he also called those he called he also justified those he justified he also glorified and i was talking to a lady last week and she said ah yes but that means that god knew that i would believe that's why he picked me and somebody said, but that would, that would mean that you could take pride in, in your believing. and it made you worthy to believe. She said, oh no, I wouldn't do that. And she wouldn't because her, her heart's better than her head. But that's not what the word even means. It doesn't mean that God knew in advance. The word means that he loved in advance. Those he loved in advance, he chose. He chose. And those he chose, he called. And... They heard because the Holy Spirit worked. And those he called, he justified. He declared not guilty because of the work of the Son. And those he justified, he's going to bring safely home. You see, the word can't refer to some action that we did that God looked and saw. Because it says those he foreknew, not what he foreknew, what would be the action that he saw us doing. But those he for you those people that he loved in advance. He chose. Those that he chose. Um, it's about people, not about actions. And so here's a the God the Father at work. His love. He loved us first. He set his love on you. And because he set his love on you, the Son came to die for you. Because the Father set his love on you and the Son came to die for you, the Holy Spirit comes to make sure that you turn to the Son and come to the Father. Why? Because he first loved us. We've got the clock back as far as clocks could go, really. But uh, there's another turn. There's another turn in the clock yet. You can overwind the spring, you know. But there's another turn. Because not only do we see the Father's electing love, but if we go back another another turn, we'll see a covenant love. Covenant love. Why is the world even here? Why is it even here? It's here because God determined to display his glory by creating a world in which he would permit people to rebel so that they could see that his love is gloriously rich, that he just doesn't love beings that are deserving of love. But his love is so majestically glorious that he has love for beings that would rebel against him. There are hints and glimpses of this in Scripture. Jesus in John 17 talks about the work that the Father has given him to do. And that he only does the work that the Father has given to him. And that he has done the work the Father has given to him, And that the Father has a reward for him for doing the work. A people that have been promised to him. And those are the, the things that we find in a covenant. In, a, in an agreement, God says, if this is done, then this. And theologians speak about this covenant of redemption. A plan of to display the overflowing richness of God's character. God the Father delighting in the Son and the Holy Spirit wanting others to enjoy that. God the Son delighting in God the Father and God the Holy Spirit and wanting others to be part of that richness and God the Holy Spirit enjoying the Father and the Son and wanting others to be part of this. And so they there's this agreement as it were to display the overflowing fountain like love of God Father, Son and Holy Spirit to display it. Well how do we display it? Who is there to see it? Well let's make people to see it. The Father as as it were wants people to see that the Son is spectacularly wonderful. Well I'll make people to see it. How will they see that, uh, that He's wonderful? Well If they rebel, they'll see the Son would go to any lengths to lay down his life for them. The Holy Spirit would go right into their grotty, filthy, sin-stained, proud hearts. And he would live there. And he would make them into the image of the Son. And he would cause them to know the Father's love. And this is the covenant of redemption. That all this exists to display the glory of God and the glorious love of God. It's not just that we were loved before we were born. It's not just that we were loved before the mountains were made. It's that the mountains were made so that we could be loved. The stars exist because you're here. You know, I'm reading a book by an astrophysicist, Lawrence Krauss, who's a rather um, dogmatic atheist, and he says, you know, we come from stardust, as if that's, that's our great significance. He's got a back to front. Um, We're not here because of the stars. The stars are here because of us. God took on to make a world, a universe to display his glory so that it's, that's not to make us the most important beings in the universe. It's because God is the most important being in the universe. All this is made so that we can see his glory, so that we could relate to him. And so when God says, I have loved you with an everlasting love, Jeremiah 31.3, he really means it. He really means it. He's not exaggerating. Um, like the teenage boy who looks into there girls I say I've loved you forever well really no you haven't five minutes maybe um, you know two years not forever um, but God has he loved us uh, we love because he first loved us that's what we see wrapped up in the sacrament and in the covenant and the promise when we come to the Lord's table he first loved us and then as we finish the second thing is then we're to love we're to love John is saying that we have confidence because we love God and we love our fellow Christians well that I just want to focus as we finish on the first bit of that word We love, does John mean, what does he mean? Do we we love God or do we love our fellow Christians? Well, he means both. He's been making that point throughout the letter that we love God and we love our fellow believers. Well, as we come to the Lord's table, let's just ask ourselves one question. Am I growing in love for God? Am I growing in love for Jesus? Or maybe let's use other words. Am I growing in delight at what Jesus has done? Am I growing in appreciation of who God is? Am I growing in amazement at who he is and what he's done? Do I love him? Delight in him? Amazed at him? Appreciate him? Filled with thankfulness to him? Let me just ask, you know, or pick out some things that might hinder that. One is simply a lack of, a lack of taking time to think over these things. It's easy to, to, to not think, just to read our Bibles and not think. So let's, you know, there, there's a quote that I, I meant to read at the start from Spurgeon. Spurgeon said in one of his sermons, he said, If I were to say no more, but simply read the verse, And sit down in silence and if you were all to spend the next three quarters of an hour in exercising love to God, it would be time most profitably spent. Um, He's right. Sometimes we don't grow in appreciation because we don't take time to meditate and to think over something. So take those five areas, pick one and think over it. Lack of communication sometimes hinders us in growing in love and appreciation for god we're not we're not we're not reading we're not praying staleness creeps in so let's let's check that that's not the case sometimes sometimes that's because of busyness. sometimes suffering and sickness distracts us And we focus on our circumstances and not on our God. And sometimes sin causes us to grow distant from God. We can't have affection for two things in our lives. We can't have maximum affection for two things. We either love God and we fight sin or we love sin and we grow distant from God. What's the remedy? It's to remember And to think that he first loved us. And as we do that, we'll love him more and more. We'll grow in love for him more and more. And hear the promise. We love because he first loved us. So as we come to the Lord's table, let's come ready to see more and more how much he's loved us. And that will help us to love him more and more. Well, let's let's close in prayer.